Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilisphere podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. Season two of the Veer Vulnerabilisphere podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Standard and Strange, where the clothes and the people are anything but ordinary, and the motto is own fewer, better things. All right, Albert, here we go again. Our Ryan Daniel Beck, the third return, I am so excited about. Um, he's uh, one of my favorite guests. I love talking to him. Uh, every time he's been on the show, I've learned so much, and uh, I'm just excited. I, I'm super pumped for what he has to talk about. Um, so, yes, yeah. he's, he's our f- official first three-peater. Yes, this is, he yeah, is. We've had guests come on the show three <laughs> the times. trilogy. But not <laughs> as the primary guest. So, uh, you know, he's uh, he's got special status at the... Uh, at the show. So we're excited to have him back. Um, I've just very brief little bit of bioness is uh, he's the founder of body art NYC. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a teacher, choreographer, uh, rock hunter and provocateur. I add to the list of things <laughs> that he does. He makes people think and he does it all with a smile. So we're just going to welcome him right in and jump in the deep end with Ryan Daniel Beck. Oh, thank you guys so much. I mean, I feel like uh, you've really set the standard as far as superlatives go. So I, I you know, a three-peat. Wow. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, before we jump in, I, I wanted to give you a little, a little uh, kind of fun fact. You know, when Adam sent me the Zoom link, you had abbreviated Veer Vulnerabilis Veer as VVV, right? Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you and it's funny because a few days ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who's, who's really deep into numerology, and she just, happened to, she just happened to mention that the number 555, or VVV, is, is the number which signifies a change or shift in perspective. Got it. So I thought that was really, really interesting that, you know, VVV, 555, and, you know, so much of what you're doing here is, is really about changing and shifting perspective. And... I think that's super congruent and in alignment with what we're going to be talking about today. Well, really quickly, Brian, Ryan, before we hand it over to you, um, just wondering, we know, you know, obviously COVID's impacted all of us in, in different ways. Uh, as a person who is a teacher and often, uh, you know, in a, in a room of people, um, you, I see that you've done a lot online. I also have seen a lot of times you're doing outdoor workouts, uh, you know, anything, anything that's come um, along with the experience of COVID that's been surprising to you in terms of motivating people and and keeping them going uh, with taking care of their bodies um, at at this time and anything surprising to you that's come as a result of this experience? I would say that in terms of things that uh, maybe were unexpected, um, I mean, I mean, obviously, you know how New Yorkers can be very particular and they can have very um, uh, specific um, expectations when it comes to restaurants or hotels. And I think COVID has really forced people to have a more adaptable perspective with regard to uh, not only what is truly important and their priorities in life, but, um, you know, the, the saying, uh, don't, don't sweat the small stuff, uh, I'm forgetting the rest of the quote, but it's essentially understanding that a lot of the things that New Yorkers used to get their panties up in a wad uh, are now not really so important. And so, you know, it's, for, for me, it's been an opportunity to really challenge people's um, expectations and, and challenge people's uh, preconceived notions and narratives. And obviously, you know me, and that's what I love to do anyway. So um, just, you know, with regard to, uh, if, for example, something like temperature, you know, New Yorkers uh, prior to COVID had a very uh, <laughs> narrow uh threshold or parameters with, with, with regard to, you know, I can train between 76 degrees and 80 and the room can't be too hot and too cold. And now, you know, we were outside and we were moving and we were training and it was 42 degrees. And, you know, people are starting to just understand that, that we have the capacity to adapt on a much greater scale than, than uh, I think maybe we had come to um, kind of, 
accept if I if I'll say that. Yeah, I uh, I'm really excited that uh, people are adapting and uh, being a little bit more uh, open to to working out and being outside because uh, we need that right now. I mean, not to get off topic, but that yeah. could be a whole another you know a whole another topic, which is the, the benefits of actually uh, training in colder temperatures. There's a whole host of benefits with regard to hormetic stressors, brown adipose fat, psychological benefits. Um, and again, not to get off topic because this is a whole nother, yeah. <laughs> a whole nother chat for another time. Well, I want to give a shout out to one of my friends whose new routine in, in, involves a very cold shower every, each and every morning. And I'm like, dude, like you have, you impressed the hell out of me, but it's never going to happen in my household because I like my warm shower in the morning. Oh, you got to try it, Albert. Oh, you no, have no. to try it. It's a game changer. You let me tell every, you. Yeah, that's what he says. It really is. All right. Topic for the future. Ryan, you need to come back and talk about temperature. Ooh, I can't wait. Yeah. I actually love this topic too, but we have a, <laughs> I think personally more important topic on hand today. And Ryan, I would love if you could introduce that. Yeah. So for anybody who's listening, um, we're going to be actually doing a little bit of an experiment. And so before we sort of set up this experiment, I want to lay out the ground rules. And again, I think that whenever you're talking about a shift in perspective, uh, using these sort of simulations are really valuable way just to kind of jumpstart a conversation and just maybe start to see things in a slightly different way. So with that being said, before I dive in, I just want to preface this by saying that the language that you use is either in alignment with your worldview or your perspective, or it's incongruent with it, right? So the words that you choose to use, they, they matter. And um, they're either a reflection of how you want to see the world or, or how you want to, uh, the world that you want to create. And we also know that, for example, there are certain words uh, that were in use, very common use with regard to race, let's say 150 years ago. And as a society, we've no, we no longer use those words. And if I were to put it out to your listeners, I was put it out to you, like, why, why would you say we don't use those words anymore? Just as an open question. They're hurtful. They're, they're very painful. I know there are specific words that I could be called that would really hurt my feelings. A hundred percent. And of course, obviously, if you were a person of color, there are words that um, have a lot of, we'll just say, emotional trauma attached to them. And so even if the person, I mean, I believe that there's, there's a, a, an energetic exchange when when words and actions of trauma that affect not only the 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 recipient but also i think that they affect the uh the um the aggressor in some way as well in a a negative way but that being set aside we have a tendency to think that for example racial racial words that are that are um oppressive and suggest a certain uh caste hierarchy these words um, are also indirectly negative in terms of the person using the words as well. They might not understand why in that moment, but it, it, it affects everybody. It affects all of us because we're all connected, right? So with that being said, today we're going to be talking a little bit about sexual orientation. And uh, if you are listening to the podcast today, I would encourage you to pause the podcast, Google purple, red scale. I'll say it again. It's called purple, red scale. You type it into Google, you pull it up. If you don't do that, the rest of this conversation is not going to make any sense at all. And if you do pull it up, the rest of the conversation I would uh, predict is going to be very fascinating. So with that being said, we are going to play a little role, like a little simulation, a little game. And for the next, let's say, 45 minutes or however long this chat is, we are going to move away from binary language, which is a perspective that there is an either or when it comes to sexual orientation. And we're going to embrace the language of the purple red scale just for the next 
let's say 45 minutes. And then if you choose to go back to the binary language, that's fine. But I hope that by the end of this chat, you'll at least notice the benefits of moving away from a, a binary language and moving towards a more inclusive language that allows people to really express in a way which is more accurate who they are as human beings. How's that sound? That sounds awesome. And I'm, I'm really excited about this. You, uh, you teased us with it the, uh, the first time around and uh, I've been looking at it. I've been seeing it. And um, I, I studied, man, I, I practiced a few things and I wrote down some, some no, no words and I wrote down some use these instead. So I'm ready to go. Um, let's do this. So, so yeah. So with regard to, with regard to, uh, like I said, the, the ground rules, we're not going, we're going to avoid, there, there are four words that we're definitely going to avoid. The G word, the S word, and the two H words, right? So the G word is the gay, and the S is the straight, and the H is the hetero, and the H is the homo. So we're going to avoid these words because, again, when you use these words, whether you do it intentionally or unintentionally, by using these words, you are reinforcing an idea, you're reinforcing a worldview. You're reinforcing a perspective that the world operates in these two binary bubbles, right? And the problem and the reason that I want to kind of offer, and it's an offering, I offer the Purple Red Scale as a way to uh, talk about orientation. And, and there are two major benefits that I can see. First of all, Anytime that you use language which is built into a binary bubble, the implicit message, the implied uh, information is that there is inherently an us and a them. So if I'm in the G bubble and then I say, okay, over here is the S bubble, then there's inherently a division. There's a separation. There's an us and a them. Yeah. Now, the second thing is, if you take away this line of demarcation and you say, well, actually, there's a lot more variation, more, more possibility on this scale, then you realize that even within people who maybe um, uh, claim the same identity, there's even variation within these people which is a very, very interesting thing, especially when you talk to populations which like to gang up on other populations, right? Is you can look at these populations and say, hey, 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 look at this. There's variation even within your ranks. So if you can see that there's variation within the, the, the two binary bubbles, then you have a more, you have a better chance of having people sort of reach across and make those connections of empathy and tolerance if that makes any sense. So I'm assuming that everyone has looked at the purple red scale. And so I wanna just kind of talk you through the two axes of the purple red scale. So uh, the, the bottom axis is a numeric axis and it goes from zero to six. Zero is someone who identifies exclusively attracted to the opposite sex. Then you have the number one. One is someone who is mostly attracted to the opposite sex. Number two is someone who prefers the opposite sex, probably for most romantic relationships, but is also attracted to the same sex. Then you have three. Three is an individual who is equally romantically and sexually attracted to both genders. Then you have four. Four is someone who prefers the same sex, but is also attracted to the opposite sex. You have five, which is someone who is mostly attracted to the same sex. And then you have six, which is ex exclusively attracted to the same sex. Now, there's going to be an asterisk that I'm going to put here, and we'll come back to it. But just remember, there's a little asterisk here. The second axis of the scale, if you're looking at it right now on your phone or your tablet, you'll see goes up and down. It's the, uh, the vertical axis. And this is um, indicative of your relationship to sex as a um, human activity. 
So someone who's an A uh, is, is not, um, doesn't have any sort of uh, pathology. They don't have any psycho like any um, uh, psychosis. They simply do not have any ex sex drive which is expressed in, in, in any way, right? They, they don't feel the need to express themselves in any way which is sexual. Then you have somebody who's a B. A B is someone who um, definitely enjoys the romantic aspects of companionship, of partnership, but the relationship is in no way sexual. So there's, there's just the companionship, the partnership, maybe also the romance. And then you have a C. A C is a person who, you know, can sort of take it or leave it when it comes to sex, um, especially if it is something that they do to, um, you know, make their partner happy or they're trying to have kids. But if they go, you know, six months, a year without sex, they're, they're totally fine. Then you have a D. A D is a person who enjoys sex uh, with a lot of sort of prerequisites, like either, you know, they feel like they need to be in a safe, monogamous, married relationship, and then they feel comfortable to explore sex. And in, under those circumstances, they enjoy sex. Then you have E. E, e. e is a, he's a person who you know, really just has a more open-minded approach to sex. They enjoy sex. Um, if they were to have a one-night stand, like, that's cool. Not really going to twist their head a little bit, but it's fine. They can have sex that's casual. They can have sex within a monogamous relationship. And then there's F. And F is a person who is hypersexual. They, um, they just, you know, they really can't get enough. They, they're probably one notch below a sex addict, um, <laughs> but they just, they, just, they just have a very, very high sex drive. And so when you look at these two axes, you can start to understand that basically where you place yourself and where you self-identify is a much more accurate representation than trying to talk about yourself in a binary. Now, I said there was an asterisk. And the one thing that I, I feel like the, um, the purple red scale does really well is it starts to demonstrate the idea that when we talk about sexuality, we're talking about something which is incredibly rich with diversity, right? And when we use binary language, we're reinforcing idea that sex is pretty black and white. It's very simple. It's either or. You're either gay or you're straight, right? And so every time you use those words, you're reinforcing a certain idea about sexuality. And so I offer people the purple red scale as a new way, a shift in perspective to talk about sexuality, which is this beautifully rich, diverse part of the human experience, but in a way which is more accurate and allows people to express themselves more truthfully. Um, so with the asterisk, when we talk about sex or sexual orientation, we also have to bring in the concept of gender, right? Because even the purple red scale is actually as beautiful as it is, it's actually not as uh, robust and diverse as it needs to be. Sexuality is even more, more robust than that because you also have the understanding that, for example, if, if I say I'm attracted exclusively to the same sex or I'm exclusively attracted to the opposite sex, we have to say, well, are you talking about the same sex with regard to cisgender or are you talking about the same sex with regard to transgender? What are you talking about? And then furthermore, there are a lot of people who connect with other human beings in a sexual way on a purely energetic basis. In other words, you know, not to be graphic, but they, it does not matter what is or is not between your legs. If they feel an energetic connection with this other human being, that becomes the basis for a sexual relationship. And these people consider themselves to be pansexual. So I think that, you know, at one time, the conversation about sexuality was a singularity. So in, when we talk about singularity, there was one idea about sexuality, which was normal. 
And normal was between a cisgendered man and a cisgendered woman. And that was normal. Anything outside of that was considered either illegal. It was considered um, something that would, you know, result in you being burned at the stake or uh, castrated or executed. And so for, for a long period in, in human history, there was a dark age and our concept about sexuality was that there was normal and then there was everything else which we don't even talk about. It's, I mean, it's just so abhorrent. Then in the late 1800s, early uh, 19, turn, turn of the century, we start to see a shift and it moves away from a singularity to a binary conversation. And the beginning of the binary conversation was the identification of the two H words, the homosexual and the heterosexual. And, you know, it's, it's sad because prior to the, the, um, the canonization of these two words, you know, sexuality um, in some ways was, or I should say affection, especially affection between men, was much more was much more fluid because there were no implied signals. So for example, if you put your hand around somebody's shoulder, if you gave them a pat on the back, when we were still working in a singularity, a, set, a perspective of, of what is normal, you know, nobody, nobody would ever dare judge or criticize someone for simply showing affection to another guy. The minute and I, I really mean this, the minute that we started talking in a binary vocabulary, people started looking for signals and they said, well, you know, that guy, he, he kind of wears a lot of pink or, you know, that guy, he, his hand stayed on the other guy's shoulder a little bit too long or that hug lasted a little bit longer than I think, you know, a straight guy should hug another straight guy. So maybe quote unquote, you know, there might be something going on there. And all of this was a domino trickle down effect from the 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 change in the language so the language changed and then all of a sudden people's behaviors changed people's expectations and um, um, uh, assumptions changed based on the language and you know in some ways uh, this language served us for a long time. It served us through the civil rights era. Um, and, you know, of a certain age, there are people who have really taken these labels, especially within the LGBTQ community, they've taken these labels as part of their, their identity. They, they define themselves using these words. And um, I totally, I completely empathize with that. However, we are now in another, you know, it's like we're, the, we're like the, the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis and now we're having another transformation in terms of awareness, in terms of empathy. And it's time, in my opinion, it's time for the language to now again evolve and adapt and shift. Um, I always say to people, we don't use uh, beepers and eight tracks anymore because we have new technology, which allows us to, communicate more efficiently and language has the same capacity we can shift the language in a way which is more inclusive and more effective in terms of allowing people to express themselves in a way which is more accurate so with that being said let's jump into the conversation and i'll introduce myself and then you guys can introduce yourself but instead of using binary language we're going to introduce using the purple red scale so my name is ryan and uh my pronouns are he him and I am um, E2, cis, uh, meaning that I'm attracted to cisgender. Um, and that's it. E2, cis would be my orientation. What about you, Albert? Um, I think I'm, uh, I'm an E and a five. And what else you need? What else you need from me? If you're uh, attracted to cisgendered or transgendered. Okay, so let's talk about cisgendered yeah. men, I guess, is what I'm attracted to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I think. All right. 
I mean, that's the great thing about red. You can be, <laughs> you can you can choose whatever square you want. That's the great thing. Uh, you don't have to. You don't. So the problem with binary language is that you often get put into a box which you do not identify. You don't align with the box because there's only two boxes. But with the purple red scale, you can really start to become more accurate with you know what is it that I really what is it that I really like. So we're gonna let Adam. We're gonna hear from Adam next, right? Yes, Adam. I am Adam, and I am an E1 cis. Yeah. And so, okay, now let's just, let's just back up a second. When we talk about this, if we're going to have a conversation, right, anytime that you're learning a new language, have you learned a little, like, have you, do you speak another language or tried to learn French or Spanish or, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a period of time where you're trying to like wrap your, your mouth around these words because the pronunciation just doesn't quite fit as an English speaker and you're trying to roll your R's and, you know, uh, flutter your T's or whatever it is. And in the same way, when we're talking about a new language, it's the same thing. I mean, I can, I mean, now I can very easily say I mean to sis and it's like, well, but what do you think the follow-up question always is when I say to people, if, if they, if they ask, people always ask me in a binary way, they say, are you G or S? Are you G or S? And I say, I mean, two sis. What do you think the follow-up question is always? How, how attracted to the same sex are you? How strong is the attraction? Well, no, the, the, the follow-up question is what the hell does that mean? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's a more follow-up well, What are you question. talking about? I, yeah. I'm assuming they knew they already had the chart in front of them, but no. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, a totally I mean, new language. I, I, I totally, that, that we understand. Yeah. So if I, if I say something, I'm, I'm to sis and they go, well, what the hell is that? And what do you think my follow-up question, my follow-up answer is? Have you heard of the purple red scale? It's what I said at the beginning of this. It's what I said at the beginning of this talk. I said, it's called Google purple red scale. <laughs> now, why do you, why do you think that I, why do you think I don't just tell them? Cause you can't tell someone they need to learn it themselves. It's the, you can lead a horse to water argument. You're also trying to educate them. You're trying mm -hmm. to make them take some, uh, get involved and, and make it more of a personal discovery. Absolutely. And, and I always say, look, I'm, I'm an open book. I don't mind talking about sexuality. I have no problem talking about sexuality. But if we're going to talk about sexuality, then we need to talk about it in the way which is more accurate. We need to use the language which is most inclusive. Now, if people do take the time to go, they pull it up and they say, you know, I'm really curious. I'm, you know, I'm really curious about you and, and, and your, your situation. I say, great, I don't care, that's fine. You can be curious about my situation. Then they come back and they said, hey, I, so I looked up the purple red scale and I, and I stopped them. I go, stop, before we begin, you have to tell me where you are on the purple red scale. Again, I have no problem talking to you about sexuality, but if we're talking about it, then we have to talk about it on my terms. Because again, we're gonna talk about it in a way which is more accurate. So then this is where the magic of the purple red happens. It's not actually in the scale. It's, it's in understanding it as a tool for empathy. It's understanding it as a tool for communication. Because at that point, the person says, oh, well, I identify as E0, whatever. And I say, great. Now, let's have a conversation about orientation. So, that's a long-winded way of saying, let's now have a conversation about orientation using the purple-red scale. So, Albert, you said that you had some questions. So, let's dive into your questions and let's, again, have the conversation in this new approach. Hmm. I may have to pass, on, pass this one over to Adam for just a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I have some questions as well, too. Um, and a lot of them um, start actually with the, the gender identification and um, gender yeah. fluidity. And, um, you know, something that I, I wasn't used to saying is being, uh, you know, cisgendered or, or attracted to um, trans or cisgendered um, people. So um, when it comes to self-identifying um, and gender, um, I, I know that isn't really expressed on here, 
Um, but how, how would one really kind of go about it? Because I, I am, you know, for me personally attracted to uh, cisgendered women. Um, but if you just meet someone, um, how, like w- where does that kind of fall into um, your attraction sa- scale um, and gender identity? If, if that makes any sense, I don't know. I'm just kind of, uh, th- that's something that, that kind of, um, it is harder for me to, to wrap my head around is, is the, the gender identities. Yeah. So the, the thing about the purple red scale, which I think is really beautiful is that, you know, you might identify on the purple red scale a certain way for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And then you have an interaction, you meet someone and you realize, wow, like maybe my sexuality is a little, is even more fluid than I thought. And that's fine. So, I mean, it's, it's not like a, it's not like a one and done, you bought it and then now you have to, you have to, you know, live with it for the rest of your life. So for example, if you said, you know, actually, um, you know, I, 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 I'm saying this hypothetically, but let's say someone, you know, identified as being exclusively attracted to the opposite sex. And as a man, that would make you a zero, right? So Mm -hmm. you say, well, I'm going to be, I feel like I'm exclusively attracted to um, cisgendered women, right? And then one day you realize that you meet someone and you have a, a very intense physical, sexual connection with that person. And they, that person identifies as being a trans woman. And at that point, the question really becomes, do you, does your language have the capacity to support your authenticity? And my argument would be that the binary language does not. And this is why we see so much violence against trans women. So I have a lot of I have a lot of trans women who are working in advocacy, and there is a, a really serious issue with um, what they call uh, spilling the tea or you know talking about the the issue of transgender. And when they meet a guy, when do they tell? Do they tell them up front? Or do they wait and they tell them later? And there's arguments to be made on both ends. I mean, for example, if you are if you identify as a trans woman, there might be a situation where you say, you know what, why do why why does why do my why do my external genitals have anything to do with how you see me as a human being, or if we have an emotional, um, you know, romantic connection? Like, why does that preclude how you see me as a person? Right. And so there's arguments to say that, you know, uh, spilling the tea is not uh, something that anybody should be required to do. On the other hand, for safety reasons, a lot of my friends who are in the trans community feel like they do need to be upfront because they don't want to put themselves in a situation where someone reacts um, in a way which is, is violent if they feel that they have been. And, uh, you know, misguided or or tricked or something like that. It's it's a big it's a big issue. It's a big problem. Now, rewind. And you know, there's a, there's a lot of conversations right now when we say even within language when we talk about violence against trans women or we talk about violence against women. What we really should be talking about is not the violence directed towards the victims, but we should t- we should be talking about the incidences where men were violent. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So rather than talking about like a hundred cases of uh, trans uh, violence against trans women, we need to talk about the 100 cases where men were violent towards trans women. You see that very subtle shift because yeah. that's actually, yeah. that's actually the problem. Trans women existing is not the problem. Men becoming physically and mortally violent against trans women. That's the problem. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Which is the same if you're talking about, about issues of race as well. It's the same exact thing that you've just described. Absolutely. The interesting thing, though, is that in many, many, many instances, I would, I would argue that the underlying catalyst for this violence is the language. And this is coming from many conversations with my trans friends. 
where they, where they will often say, you know, there is a mortal, um, there's a mortal fear that if someone were to find out that you had sort of any sort of sexual contact with a trans woman, when you go back into the neighborhood with the other guys, suddenly you have a new label. And guess where the label comes from? Binary language. So the binary language is now you've lost your, you've lost your masculinity. You've lost your heteroness. You've lost your straightness. And the, the loss of this binary label is so strong that it drives people to then overcompensate in a really, really violent and detrimental way, which often, you know, results in somebody dead. So binary language uh, is not something that we can just sort of casually dismiss because there's an underlying issue here where the binary language has a whole avalanche of psychological, emotional, mental um, ramifications because this, this idea that you can lose your uh, membership in one of the bubbles and get ejected and ostracized and get thrown into the other bubble um, it's, it's a total human construct. We've, we've created it and we also have the power to dismantle it and create something which is much more accurate and much more inclusive. So here's um, a little segue. Uh, yeah. Gay Lincoln. Did you hear mm-hmm. about Gay Lincoln? So let's... There's like scholarly studies about Lincoln's sexuality. And I think it's okay. very much... You'd, you'd have fun purple-redding Abraham Lincoln, actually. Uh, because there's so much reading into Lincoln's uh, writings, you know, he's going around and sharing a bed with his male buddy in Kentucky, uh, his law school buddy, and they're talking about, you know, they share their bed together. Famously in Moby Dick, there's a scene early in the book where two men go arrive at a hotel and share a bed together. And we look back, I think, at them doing their normal, natural, purple-red, expressing their, their connection to each other um, and their, their life experience and how they live their lives, and we're applying our labels to them. Oh, maybe Lincoln was gay. And mm. that, that becomes like a real, that's a touchstone thing. Like, oh my God, don't you dare take this iconic American figure and take the straight out of him. Let's not, let's not even go there that becomes very unsettling for people. The same way when people find out, hey, early on, Lincoln said very racist things. Uh, At the beginning, his views were that black uh, African-Americans, blacks were inferior race. He would often, he said language that was absolutely 100% unequivocal that way. And when you talk to people who are Abe Lincoln fanatics, they're like, they want to deny that he did that. And the bottom line is, he was fluid in his attitude about race. And over time, it, the fluidity moved in a, a certain direction. And um, so anyway, this whole talk got me thinking a little bit. That's very much a strong, the, the lens of history, how we go back and look back at um, our own history through the language that we've now invented and new language that it arises. And I'm all for, I love the purple red idea because I am tired of living in the in that binary uh, mold. I am tired of feeling this arbitrary distance that I'm supposed to feel that society tells me I'm supposed to feel being in one H team H uh, and not being part of the other team H. I am completely and totally sick of it. I'm not sure it because it is narrow. It is uh, not indicative of reality. There's infinite variety of, uh, I mean, variety is actually the order, the, the, the essential characteristic of the cosmos. We have incredible variety that it, healthy environments are the ones with the most variety. We, we know all this from a scientific perspective, but I guess my question is how do we really 
change this language. Uh, this is an exercise. You're asking us to think about how we use language. But are you literally, are, is, are we going to lobby and try to say, okay, stop using these words. Let's talk purple red. Is that like a purple red movement? Are we talking, I mean, where, where do you see this being a, 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 an action, an actual plan of action that we have? Where, where, do, you, where do you see it coming, coming from where we are now to where you would like to be? Well, let's just take, you know, uh, you know, the, the saying, be the change that you want to see in the world. And uh, as I said, you know, as I outlined, there have been, I mean, my, my orientation is not under constant scrutiny. It's not, I wouldn't even say it's under daily scrutiny. Um, I would say that in conversations with acquaintances or business uh, associates, my orientation almost never comes up. I mean, I, I, it's not something that I would ever, uh, it's not really a point of conversation. However, every once in a while, yes, you know, somebody will ask, you know, uh, so what's your situation? You know, are you interested in, are you, you know, which, uh, they always say, um, uh, which, which team, team do you bat for? Play for? <laughs> yeah. Which team do you play for? And again, I say, oh, are you, are you talking about my, my sexual orientation? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, great. I'm E2 cis. And again, we have, we already talked about this and that's how the conversation starts. It's very organic. It's, it's very elemental. It's very evolutionary. And so in my own way, I'm educating anyone I talk to about sexuality, I'm educating them. And there's a reason why I even, you know, why we're having this conversation on the podcast. And there are going to be people who are listening to this podcast today or at a future date. And whether or not they choose to adopt the purple red scale, if nothing else, they know what it is. And I would put forth that there are going to be some people listening to this podcast at a future date, and they're going to look up the purple red scale and they're going to say, oh my God, thank you so much. And they're going to say, I'm going to say thank you right now. <laughs> I know one person in particular who's going to love it. He's going to really love it because he's actually mentioned his own, like his little wish list of things he'd like to change is this whole binary way that we, that we use language uh, about so many issues. Even when you say black and white, you're talking binary. You know, I may, I reached out to a friend, uh, an Instagram friend and, and uh, was asking questions and, about uh, how uh, race impacted his life. And he's like, oh, I'm not African-American. I was born in the West Indies. And I, and I don't really, I don't have the same identification. And all these words mean different things to me. And I was like, wow, here I am thinking I'm understanding the situation. And the thing is, until you actually get to know someone, you don't know really anything. Did you read, did you read Cast by Isabel? I did. I did. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a part in the book where she talks about the fact that a lot of enslaved, I mean, the, the enslaved people who were brought to America had indigenous identities in Africa, and they were not considered black until they got to America. Black became a label that they were given when they arrived based on the color of their skin. But in Africa, they identified based on where they were from geographically. They identified from which tribe, what language they spoke, which, what was their background culture. It was, it, they, they said they didn't become black until they got to America because their, their individuality, their diversity, the richness, the, the vibrancy of the, the, uh, the diversity was stripped away. And they were all given the same overarching binary label based on the color of their skin. I also found it, I found, I found it very interesting, the section where she talks about um, the, the, uh, the inspiration that Nazi Germany took based on the legislation in the U.S. with regard to um, how they determined whether someone fell into the subordinate or the dominant class. And I don't remember if you remember this, but even the Nazi Germans said that the U.S. went too far 
because we had, we had something called the one drop rule. If you had one drop, you were suddenly put into the subordinate class. And even the Germans were like, Anthropologically, we all have a lot more than one drop. That's the ridiculousness of the whole thing. I mean, if you go back further, we're all from the same, the same fertile egg and the same sperm. We're all from that one original thing, and we've created all this illusory difference. So uh, there, I'm, I mean, first of all, I do want to recommend anybody to read Cast because I think that's a uh, absolutely uh, revolutionary book and a critically important book. And what it made me realize was how, how fiercely we are pushed into those boxes. Uh, and, and just as though I don't want to be pushed in a box, I realize that the people who push me in that box, they don't want to be in a box either. And one of the things that I think uh, your purple-red conversation really helps, I do believe that a lot of men live in boxes that are so restrictive they do not know this is where i think we have a lot of the dysfunction that we have in our society i think it's because men are in these boxes where even showing a little bit of affection is like oh my god i uh the thought of one man expressing affection to another man is something to completely undo them i i'm absolutely amazed at how many people have told me that story they absolutely cannot say i love you one friend told me, he, never, he, he said, Albert, you can tell me I love you as many times as you want. I will never say it back. I was raised in a family where I never heard it. I never heard that word. And I'll never hear it back. And I'm like, holy smokes. Like, wow. Something that I, I can't imagine it because that was alien to me. That was not how I was raised. Now, I was raised with a whole bunch of other crap. But one was not... I, I was not told, don't say I love you to someone. So I, I guess this is, my point really is that purple red is a way of seeing all of the ways that we use language very inefficiently to describe the actual reality that we are all living in together. And I think, I think it, it, it really explains a lot of the dysfunction that we see at virtually every level of our society because the that we are wasting all of our time figuring out where to shove a person in a box rather than saying, how do we all live with a freer, more fluid idea of our, our, our relations to each other? You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, um, I've, I've heard on, 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 the, on the, the conversation of race, you know, the, the statement when people say, I don't see color, it's problematic because... The, 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 the question is not, do you see color? Because of course we see color. <laughs> of course we see color. The question is that we don't celebrate all colors. We ostracize certain colors. We subordinate certain colors. We oppress certain colors. And then we elevate and celebrate other colors. So it's not that we don't see colors. We, we see it, unfortunately, we see it all too clearly. What we need to say is that all colors will be elevated and celebrated equally. So interestingly, I want to bring up two sort of uh, anecdotes, and then you can you can chime in. And I, I think these are both interesting kind of usages for the purple red scale. So sometimes I've been talking to people who, um, you know, let's let, we'll, we'll take we'll take three guys who all are in the S bubble. Okay, we're going to say they're all in the S bubble. That, that's how they identify in the binary vocabulary. They all identify as S. But if you give them the purple-red scale, you notice something, we'll call them Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tom identifies as being an F. And F is, again, hypersexual. Tom just cannot get enough sex. Now, Dick identifies as an E. In other words, he has a, 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 a robust uh, sex drive, but it's not necessarily end-all, be-all, and he you know, he enjoys, enjoys sex. And then there's Harry. And Harry says, you know, I, I like sex, but I really feel like I need to be in a committed relationship. And I need to, uh, I, I definitely am not, you know, needing to have sex with multiple people multiple times a day. So what you have are three people when the, when they, when we talk about the binary, they're all on the same team. When we talk about it in purple red, you got Tom, who's an F0, you got Dick, who's an E0, 
And then you got Harry, who's a C0. And so all of a sudden you see there's diversity within even groups and populations, which in binary terms are quote unquote, the same. The second thing is, um, if somebody identifies as A, and we don't really talk about A so much, but if someone is asexual and they don't express themselves in any way sexual, sexually, if they are a man, if they are, if they're, you know, cisgendered man and they are identify as asexual, life is really hard for this individual because there's a constant pressure to express their sexuality, especially with regard to um, chasing women. And if they don't do that, then all of a sudden, you know what labels apply to them? The opposite? Well, yeah. Then, I mean, this happens to guys, this happens to kids all the time in high school, you know? Homo, call him a homo. Yeah, because he's the one who's not like, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's for a variety of reasons, like maybe he's, he's not lost his virginity or whatever. Maybe if he's asexual, he doesn't, that's not even on his radar. He has, he has no, he has no, there's, there's, there's so much ostracization that goes on rather than him being able to say, Hey, I'm a, and again, there's no follow-up after that. Oh, well, what are you really? No, I'm a. You're C, I'm F, he's D, right? And so if we were to start to have this conversation, and again, it would require a radical shift and it wouldn't be something that happens over t- overnight. It's something that happens over time. But I really truly honestly believe, and this goes back to Albert's question, I really believe that it happens one person at a time and it's a gradual shift, but we start to move the conversation in a different direction. I mean, I don't know who's gonna end up listening to this podcast, but anybody who listens to the podcast is also going to, maybe for the first time, hear about Purple Red Scale. And you know what? Chances are they're going to talk to somebody else about it. And that's how it happens. It's, it's, like, it's almost like a virus, but it, a good contagion that sort of just starts to open up conversation. How did you discover it yourself? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> we discovered it. I discovered it through you. So yeah. thank you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, We'll, we'll have to do a little research, and uh, I, I'm, I have uh, sent to Adam today. I sent him a, a copy of it. I knew he already had it, but we'll put it in our, in our um, uh, little photo uh, album for this particular post, and you know, we'll have you. you know, we, we just love you, Ryan, because you make us think and talk about things. Uh, you're, you are such a natural. I mean, you, should, you really should just be a – you should have your teaching show you know, today with Ryan. <laughs> Back with all your uh, all your wonderful uh, wonderful ideas, um, uh, is there any anything in terms of next next steps? Uh, you know, between now and the next time you come back on the show, anything you want us to th- be thinking about, or anything you want our listeners to be thinking about, or besides sharing this the the way you've described person to person? No, I mean, again, I think I, I think it's it's. Uh, <laughs> Not, uh, not unlike the red pill in the matrix. I mean, you know, you, you, once you, once you have it on your radar, once you have it in your awareness, you know, you kind of just have to ask yourself, like, does it make more sense to continue using words that reinforce a worldview and a perspective that I don't agree with? I think that's the question that I think everybody needs to ask. If you do not agree with the idea that we live in a binary reality where there's an us versus them, it's an either or, if you're like, that actually doesn't really match my own personal observation or my personal experience, then you have to ask yourself, why do you continue to use words which reinforce that idea? And that's a question that everybody has to ask for themselves. Exactly. Yeah, that is a... extreme personal choice and question. And from just hanging out here and uh, listening to your TED talk, which I love, um, <laughs> uh, this, this is what I got. And, and this is what I hope our listeners take away from is your choice in language can relieve pain. The oh pain of being uh, put into a box, the pain of binary language, the point of what you said, the human construct, we made this stuff up. 
So it's on us to make up new things. If the purple red scale can be about attraction and sexuality, we can have more and more where religion, you know, your uh, let's even call it in America, your political party, your political feelings, there can be gradients, there can be fluidity between them. And at the end of the day, what inclusive language does is heal people because it takes away the pain. And for anyone struggling out there due to this binary boxes that they're put in, there are people out there that, that want to help you um, with inclusivity. And that is, I think, the, the ultimate um, meaning of this scale is just relieving the pain of non-inclusive language. So, Ryan, I just have to say thank you a million times. Um, again, you come on the show and uh, you rock our worlds. <laughs> I, would, I would also just put forth that you have to remember that binary language is a tool for control. And the the whether it's the patriarchy, whether it's the uh, whether it's a political party, uh, binary language, binary uh, approach, binary vocabulary is a way to to create division, right? And to create a a caste, to create a, a whether whether we're talking about male, female, whether we're talking about. Uh, gay, straight. It's it's a way to create privilege. It's a way to create. Um, and when you start to see that, you're like, I mean, personally, I am, am now to the place where I kind of cringe every time I hear those words, because I just I realize what what's really going on. Every time, every single time someone uses those words, they're reinforcing an idea that these arbitrary arbitrary lines of demarcation exist when the reality is no, like you said, there's so much diversity. And by using these words over and over and over again, we're kind of like creating this incantation where we give this old way of thinking power and we give it credibility. And so by making a conscientious choice, just even in our own daily small sphere of influence, you start to in a very powerful way, start to dismantle this, even in your own little community, which is pretty powerful. Also, just think right now what we just went through this apocalyptic election, even the binary language of winner and loser. Who wins? Who loses? When, when, pol when political parties don't cooperate and meet in the middle and make compromises, the winners and the losers are, you can, they're not the people who are talking about winners and losers. The losers are the people who are having their lives impacted throughout our society because the people who have the levers of power have decided not to use them in a productive way. So I'm going to, I mean, I'm going to be a winner. And that means I'm going to delegitimize the humanity of the people who, who are in the other party. Uh, that which we are totally at at political dysfunction because we've used, this language has completely failed our um, problem solving. It's not what we're. It's not what the political system is doing anymore. It's not about problem solving. It's just about winning. It's about the winners winning and the winners maximizing the amount of power and change and everything else that they can do for their own benefit when they have the power. It's not about. It's not about using that for some benefit. You know positive end. So I, I think I can imagine you talked about how this causes you distress hearing these words. Unfortunately, some of the words you want to change are really super deep. They are right there at the bottom. So I think it's going to be, it's going to be a real uh, journey. And all I can say is we, uh, we really appreciate and support what you're doing. And we're going to we're going to put our shoulders into the wheel here and try to keep pushing this further along. And I hope, I hope this conversation will help that, that uh, process as well. Um, any, any uh, final thoughts, Mr. Adam? Yeah, I really, you know, just, just want to say, um, you know, e even within my religion, you know, are, are you, are you reform? Are you Orthodox? I see it right there. And, and that's where it gets me. And, and like, you know, such an unlock having this conversation today because, you know, not only does it go with, you know, uh, how you're attracted to another human being, it's so deep with within our society, in our culture, that we have to start somewhere and we have to start now. 
So please Google the purple red scale, share it with a friend, let people know um, where you are and, and start the conversation because that's how it starts. And this is karma. This will be our karma if we can bring this non-binary language, inclusive language that heals our people because we need it now so, so bad. Ryan, thank you again a million times for for coming on. I love you, man. Seriously. (laughs) Uh, Ditto, Ryan. Thank you so much. Just what a great way to spend time, spending time talking to you. It's just just enlightening and just it's so much fun. And we really appreciate what you bring every day. Your energy, your positive energy is just incredible. Thank you so much. uh, I'm always honored to be part of the VVV, the 555 which is the number for changing and shifting perspective. Well, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilisphere podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato. And I'm Ryan Daniel Beck. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. 